I want a better life for my family. What's next? I'm looking to better my career. What's next? I just graduated from high school. What's next? I dropped out of high school. What's next? I'm the first in my family to go to college. What's next? I just lost my job. What's next? I just got out of the military. What's next? I've just been released from prison. What's next? I don't know what's next for me. Don't know what's next for you? Join me, Dr. Renee Cintron, on the What's Next Louisiana podcast and discover the possibilities with Louisiana's community and technical colleges. We're here. We're live. Uh, my name is Renee Cintron, and I'm glad to be here with this special live episode of our What's Next Louisiana podcast. It's, it's an incredible journey to get here. I am live from North Shore Technical Community College in Lacombe, Louisiana. It is a great campus, state-of-the-art outdoor classrooms for STEM and water management, an innovative mechatronic customized apprenticeship program that partners across the region with Delgado, Nunes, GNO Inc., Latrum, Elmo's Chocolate, Saturns, where students can learn while they earn. And I can keep going about this campus, one of the many Louisiana community and technical college campuses across the state. You have one very close to you, from Shreveport to Lake Charles, all over. Speaking about Lake Charles, they have been dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Laura, and they will be dealing with it for a long time to come, not just there, but all up and down the state. Let's keep them in mind. They're definitely my heart and my prayers every day. And if you'd like to help, there's a relief fund at lctcs.edu. Now back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and inspire. I hope we do that tonight. It's a live version, so if we mess it up, we're going to keep going. I was expecting some laughter from the audience back here, but that's okay. We just, we just roll with it. If you want to know more about the podcast, lctcs.edu, What's Next LA is where to find more information about that. This episode is a special one for the reason that it's live, but the more important reason is the topic. We're going to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, hearing from students, from faculty, from staff. And it's the continuation of a conversation, not the beginning, not the end. We're going to keep talking about how to bring more of these stories to us. And I could do this myself, but I'm not. I have with me Damien Glover, who is our coordinator for student engagement. Damien, how are you? Good. How are you? Look, you have done a great job with engaging students about their voices, expressing their experience, and taking action on various initiatives. I can't think of anyone else better suited to moderate the panel that we have ahead on this very sensitive topic than you. Everybody, Damien Glover. Thank you so much, Dr. Centron. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much again for joining us this evening. As Dr. Centron stated, my name is Damien Glover, and I serve as the coordinator for student engagement and State Director for Skills USA Louisiana Post-Secondary here at the LCTCS office. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is a topic that has shaken our nation throughout this past year, 
and has forced us to recognize the need to forge change within our own communities. Throughout this past year and years prior, names such as George Floyd, Atatiana Jefferson, Stefan Clark, Botham Jean, Orlando Castile, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, and Trayford Pellerin, and Ahmaud Aubrey, and so many others have flashed across our television screens, made its way onto our social media pages, and have affected our hearts in ways that we cannot describe. We realize and understand that work needs to be done within our justice system and our safe capital, as well as our nation's capital. But we choose to focus on the areas where we can eradicate change, and that is within our system office and our colleges throughout the state. Today, we have put together a dynamic group of individuals who represent various walks of life and areas within our colleges. These individuals will talk about their own experiences today and how we can work together to create environments that are diverse, inclusive, and equitable within our colleges. But before we begin, I think it's important that we focus and review some data about the type of students that we serve and the statistics surrounding racial disparities and the issues that not only our students, but also our professionals and our colleges may be facing. Beginning with the dynamics of who we serve. Currently 31% of our population, whether they are in our academic programs, our adult education programs, our workforce education programs, or African-American, Black, non-Hispanic. 30.9 of those students that attend our colleges are white. And rounding out that number is 6.4% are Hispanic. Those are the students that represent our vast programs throughout the state and region as they attain to reach a credential and better serve their populations and their communities. When we look at the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, 36.8% of white non-Hispanics in 2018 earned less than $40,000. 54% of Black non-Hispanics earn less than $40,000, and 58.8% of Hispanics earn less than $40,000. When we look at the range of $40,000 to $100,000, 37.2% of White non-Hispanics earn those wages. As it pertains to Black non-Hispanic, 31.3% of those individuals earned within that range. 27.4% of Hispanics earn within that range as well. When we think about the median household income throughout this past year, the 2018 median income for all households was $63,179. When we think about Black African Americans and their median income in 2018, it was $41,361. Hispanics had a median income of $51,450, and whites, non-Hispanics, had a median income of $70,642, all of those in 2018. On the other end of that spectrum, we take a look at the unemployment rates, and those span throughout our nation. When we look at African-Americans, in 2016, 16.9% of those were unemployed. 8.6% of Caucasians were unemployed, and 11.7% of Hispanics were unemployed. 
When we look at health insurance and those that weren't insured from 2010 to 2018, that ranges through the 30%, 20%, and even the teens. However, when we take a focused look at Black African-Americans, 11.5% in 2018 were uninsured, 19% of Hispanics were uninsured, and 7.5% of white Caucasians were uninsured. And when we're looking at Louisiana in COVID-19, a global pandemic, 32% of African-Americans make up the state's population, but 41% make up the annual cases that we have seen from COVID-19. And when we look at the percentages of death, African-Americans make up 47% of the overall deaths that have occurred from COVID. When we look at white statistics, they make up 62% of the annual population of Louisiana. 43% of those have COVID cases and 52% of those represented death. And when we look at other races, we see that 2% made up the population while 10% made up the cases of COVID-19. And while 1% made up the annual deaths of COVID-19. As we begin our conversation, we take that data into consideration as we review the types of students that we serve and the types of professionals that are employed within our institutions. At this time, I would like to introduce our world-renowned panelists for this evening, be beginning with Ms. Tanya Bodenball. Ms. Tanya? Good evening. Again, my name is Tanya Bodenball, and I represent South Louisiana Community College in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I currently serve as the program manager for the Center for Minority Excellence. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Ms. Tanya. Next, we have Ms. Chantel. Okay, good evening, everyone. I'm Chantal Landry-Isles. I'm a Student Government Association, or SGA, president of Suwella Technical Community College. We have three locations. Our main campus is located in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Our other locations are in Jennings, Morgan Smith, and Oakdale, Louisiana. I am in the Graphic Arts and Communications program. I am in my final semester for my first degree in the Graphic Arts. I am presently in Madison, Alabama, because I am an evacuee of Hurricane Laura. It was a Cat 5 hurricane that hit us two weeks ago. It was the strongest to hit our area since the 1800s. Our area was very devastated, but we are strong and we are rebuilding. And I'm happy to be here tonight to represent Suwella. Thank you so much, Ms. Chantel, and our thoughts are with you during this time. Next, we have uh, Mr. Joshua, one of our fellow students. Hi, everyone. My name is Joshua Turner. I am a student government president at Central Louisiana Technical Community College. I am studying practical nursing at Rod Brady Campus in Gina, Louisiana. I am currently in Pineville, Louisiana, and I also serve as a student member on the Louisiana Community and Technical College System Board of Supervisors. And I'm glad to be here in this discussion this evening. Thank you, Joshua. We're glad to have you with us. Next, we have Ms. Fatima. 
Hello, my name is Fatima Avendano. I live in Ascension Parish, studying in Gonzales in River Parish Community College. I am currently a high school senior and sophomore college student as part of the early college option. And I am a Senator in our RPCC SGA. Thank you so much Fatima for being with us today. We have next Ms. Bianca. Good evening, everyone. My name is Bianca Rutherford Frazier, and I am here representing Bossier Parish Community College. Um, I am the Programs Director for Work-Based Learning and Learning and Apprenticeships. Um, we are located in Bossier City, uh, Bossier City, Louisiana, and it's part of the Shreveport-Bossier Metroplex. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. And rounding out our group this evening is Mr. Shanko Williams. Hi, everybody. Sorry about that. I'm Shanko Williams, former SGA president of uh, Central Louisiana Technical Community College. Currently, I am a, a student uh, for the business program, um, taking all my online classes uh, because I can't sit in class because I got a job. So I'm working with uh, Rise and Store Corporation. Uh, currently, I'm the operational director for the U.S. Marshals uh, Service. So that contract is underway October 1. So I'm excited about that. Thank you for joining us, Shanko. Thank you all so much for taking the time out of your schedules to be with us. You all bring vast experiences and knowledge around the topic of diversity and inclusion. We'll begin our conversation this evening with a, a question geared toward our students. What are some of the experiences that you have faced or have witnessed of injustice? And be feel free to think about both sides of the spectrum, whether you personally experienced it or seen others experience it. All right, so um, I grew up in a very rural community. And uh, I have personally not felt the magnitude of injustice we see in some of our communities in the country today. But what I have experienced was uh, just amazes me at the hatred people can have for another human being all only because of either their status as being poor quote unquote, or the different color of their skin. The one thing that I try to do is when I do experience this is just teach, don't act out in hate. You gotta not make sure that they know that what they're doing is wrong, whether they should know or not. And that's my experience. Thank you, Joshua, for your words there. Uh, Fatima? Uh, I grew up first-generation Mexican-American, so I had to learn two languages at the same time, uh, Spanish and English, and personally, I've always been through bullying uh, because of the color of my skin, and I've been told to, quote-unquote, go back to my country uh, multiple times in different occasions. Uh, I know personally, one of the biggest factors in my life that shaped who I am today was in elementary school. Uh, I faced it at a very young age. Uh, I was one out of three Mexican-American children in my elementary school. Uh, and it was difficult because they would categorize me as not knowing English and not knowing as much as the other kids, uh, causing my mental health to go down and causing issues like internalized racism. Uh, Gratefully, I am 
uh, overcome my internalized racism and I'm proud of who I am, but it is something I, I've gone through and seen other people fight throughout their life. And I hope it is something that we can all change as a society. Thank you so much, Fatima. Ms. Chantal. Yes, I would like to speak on that. Um, for almost 20 years, I was a substitute teacher. And one thing that I noticed in the classroom was that the Black student, and well, let me preface this by saying I don't want to make it sound like it was rampant, but it absolutely did happen. Um, that the Black students were disciplined a lot quicker than the white kids. Um, the Black students were written up quicker. They were sent to the office quicker. The teachers had less patience for the Black kids at times. And so I felt not only the the injustice of it, but also to know that these people, the teachers and the faculty was people from the community. And to know that, you know, that they would treat their own community children that way, it was it was very disheartening to see. Another thing in my own personal life is um, I would characterize it as uh, a thousand cuts, a, a, you know, a thousand deaths. Uh, the cuts by a thousand deaths, sorry, that as a black person, you know, what we have to face whenever we walk out of the door, you know, we walk into an establishment, are we going to be treated with respect? Are we going to be greeted? Are we going to be treated as criminals? Um, you know, that that's something else that um, that I've experienced in my own personal life, too. Thank you so much, Ms. Chantel. Mr. Shankar, what are your thoughts on that question there? Uh, I mean, I think that uh, the conversation is, is is well overdue. I think a lot of times um, we get afraid of of talking about uh, some of the things that we've suffered as as a community. Um, in the, I guess, in the in the fear of upsetting, you know, I guess what they call white fragility or whatever. But I think a lot of times when you look at injustices that happen on a consistent basis. Um, it sometimes it gets systematically kind of, uh, I guess what's the word I'm looking for, encrypted. And so we don't see it because it's not right there in your face. And I like what Josh said earlier about in his community, um, he wasn't exposed to a lot of that. And I think a lot of times that that is the overall um, um, situation for a lot of, of, I now say the majority of the, of the population. Um, they're kind of dealing with life as they deal with it and they have their hurts, habits and hangups and they got to deal with things and they kind of got to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. And so they feel like, hey, look, if I got what I got, we're working hard and doing what I need to do, then y'all need to do the same thing. But when you have other invisible barriers in the way that you know prohibit you from, from being able to uh, excel or be able to just get to the uh, playing field, uh, you know, to just be able to do what you need to do, you have all these other things that you have to overcome sometimes that becomes a hindrance and it becomes tiresome. And it, and, it, and it, you know, we've all heard of the stereotypes of the angry black woman and the emotional black male, you know, all of these things stem from frustrations. And when you don't, when you don't know how to properly define a problem, you know, when you start looking at solutions, it becomes very ambiguous. And so even those, even those people that are going through it daily, and I just speak from my own experiences growing up, uh, I, a two-parent household, my father was there, but my father was uh, very angry uh, and he was, uh, he's a U.S. Air Force veteran. And when he came home from school, uh, came home from work at the end of the day, 
Um, hey, Dad, how you doing? Uh, it was a lot of, uh, you know, animosity towards me. And I was like, wow, what's going on? But understanding some of his frustrations and, and going through the military myself. And I'm like, man, I see why he was so grouchy and so grumpy because some of the things that you got to overcome in the system. And so um, real short, and I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. The, um, I had a conversation with a, with a young lady who was a nursing student at our Alexandria campus. And she had told us that uh, she had switched from the Alexandria campus to another campus. And uh, I asked her, I said, well, why'd you, why'd you switch? And I'm talking about this young lady. She's an African-American young lady, very bubbly, very positive. I mean, a hard charger. Uh, she said that she had been a victim of, of racial uh, profiling from her instructor. Uh, and and it, was, it was amazing to me. Now, the instructor's no longer there, so that's why I'm speaking on it. Um, but it, it was, you know, we say that, okay, student SGA is all about, you know, we, we, we champion student issues. Um, and this is something that we went, I went to each classroom. I said, if you have any issue with an instructor, with the person, uh, your peer, you know, come see me. We will talk about this. We even created a, a system where they can go online and anonymously complain. Very few people took advantage of that because they were afraid to be singled out and they were afraid of being uh, castrated socially because of um, speaking out on something that they felt was uh, obscure or maybe too ambiguous to be able to put their mind around because they couldn't properly define it. So um, that's, that's what I'll say on that for now. Now, mute my mic. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shako. I think your, your last points there and, and your experiences with that one student brought something up for me. A couple of nights ago, I was able to tune into the UL Lafayette's conversation around diversity, equity, and, equity and inclusion. And, and there, there were some powerful stories about students' inequalities inside the classroom and how they were afraid to voice their concerns due to backlash. And I think events such as this is a great example of the system built here within our colleges that allows for change, especially from the student's viewpoint. When we look at the data points that I presented earlier, and also your own experiences as students and also professionals, how do you think the past events that, are hap that have happened this year, not just a global pandemic or a hurricane, but also the senseless deaths of so many individuals, how do you think those have affected yourselves and also your fellow students? One thing that I think is, um, is a positive of COVID is that because we've all been shut in, uh, we haven't had all of the distractions of the past. And so the injustices and, and, and the social ills that have been going on, uh, it has made people more aware. And I feel like there's a, a much greater community now of people who I'm going to use, you know, Josh as an, as an example, who are willing to speak out about it. Um, you know, more white people. And I hate to make it, you know, America is a white and black, you know, problem. But I like to say more of the white power structure. But people of the white community um, who may not have realized the injustices that were going on, they now see it and they're speaking out more. So that's what I feel positive about, that more people are involved in making a difference, making a change and actively speaking out, not just seeing it happen, but confronting it when it happens. I agree with that, Chantel. I think that people are more aware and it'll make us more conscious of the implicit biases that happen sometimes on college campuses, like Shanko um, said before. 
we want to make sure that we are addressing those things spot on, just like the um, in the information that you shared before, Damien, about the COVID numbers, the pandemic numbers and the percentages of African-Americans um, having, you know, contracting COVID and dying from that. I think that we have to be very careful when we put this information out, because that may um, encourage even more bias because, you know, um, businesses or, or people may have some reluctance of working with people in certain populations, which is also built on what Shanka said about, um, you know, sometimes, you know, an African-American male or woman or just different from people, di uh, different diversities may, you may have these predisposed um, stereotypes, you know, associated with them. So I think that with all of the things about the racial injustice that's been happening and we've been hearing in the media, it, people are now having conversations about those things and kind of breaking down some of those walls. One of the things that our, you know, Louisiana community to, and technical college system is doing is they have a, a diversity and inclusion task force and we've broken down into subcommittees. So we really are committed and our systems are really committed to taking kind of a uh, I guess like a forensic eye to study the data and look at what we can do to make things better. I would also like to add a little bit to that, just to basically piggyback what Ms. Chantel and Shanko and Bianca have said. Um, I've noticed like during this pandemic and everything, people that I've grown up with that had hardcore rooted bred injustice in their brain bigotism i've seen their eyes open and be like oh my god these people are actually going through these things like this is actually happening so the change is on the precipice what we have to do as leaders and as a system which we are doing is setting up those bases which i have the joy to serve on the task force that miss bianca was mentioning that has subcommittees, which we are putting in place lots of things that are going to last to change a lot of things to help those minorities. And that's just what I wanted to add. Damien. Yes, ma'am. I want to, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go in the opposite direction of what my great colleagues just mentioned and talk about how we're feeling. We're feeling some type of way. I'm speaking as a black professional. I'm speaking as a 45 year old black woman. I'm speaking as a 45 year old black woman who's the mother of two children. One of them is an adult black male. And I'm saying, I'm sharing and being transparent because oftentimes we want people to turn their switch off, whether it's a student or a professional when they get into the classroom or the office, but we have to make sure whether it's the system or wherever, wherever we navigate the spaces, we have to make sure that we're allowing people to say, you know what, Damon, I'm feeling some type of way because one of my neighbors was shot and killed and it hasn't been determined the why. So I may be bringing this into your classroom, but we have to make sure that we allow people to feel how they feel and work through those emotions. Because this isn't something, you know, just because I put on, a, you know, my college pin or my blazer, my suit jacket, that's not going to turn those emotions and feelings off. So to answer your question, which you initially put, I'm feeling some type of way because I'm carrying all of that inside of me and I'm still trying to navigate 
those feelings because at the end of the day, just because, you know, degrees don't mean that you won't feel pain. Educational economic status will not, does not, you know, give you a pass and exempt you from feeling pain. So to answer your question, I'm feeling some type of way because it's a heaviness. It's a heaviness, but yet you still have to perform. Correct. I, I totally agree with you. I, I posted something on Facebook the other day. Um, I went to a gas station and it was in the in the evening time. And, and I said, instead of feeling safe, there was a police officer present. I immediately felt scared for my life. And I think that's just a, a, a result of the world that we're living in, the things that are happening within our own communities, even though it doesn't happen to us personally within our own families. And for any minority, you know, it doesn't have to happen directly. Indirect actions affect all of us because it may spark something that says that could be us, that could be me, that could be my family member. And, and like Ms. Tanya was saying, as a professional from eight to five or seven to five or six to seven or whatever times we're working, there's some point we have to take off our professional hat and we become who we are. And we have to realize that people are people at the end of the day. Um, and, and they're living this, they're living in a time where we're living in a global pandemic, we're living in racial equalities, we're living in an election year. Uh, we're living in, in a world where so much is going on. And I think that we have to take that in consideration as we address the issues of racial diversity and, and equity and inclusion. Ms. Bianca mentioned earlier the fact that the system office has put in place a diversity and equity and inclusion board to oversee efforts going into the future of what that looks like at our colleges and from the system level. From your perspective, Ms. Tanya and Ms. Bianca, what are some of the things that are being done within our colleges that can support students and professionals? And what are some things that are already in place at your colleges that, that do that? One thing I'm, and I've been a part of many diversity discussions such as this over the years, but the one thing I really like about this particular work group is it's, it's, it's for real. You know, and the system is committed to making sure, number one, we will not be able to figure this out overnight. That's one of the first things that, you know, Quinn and Joshua, you know, we all realize we have to figure out, number one, what is diversity? Because my definition of diversity may be different from you. So one thing we started doing was defining diversity, equity, inclusion, and equality, because I always like to say equity and equality are not one and the same. And we have to make sure we paint the picture to get people to understand diversity is say we're going to have dinner at a restaurant, Damien. Diversity is all of us participating in this panel. We're all sitting at the table. Inclusion allows me to have a seat at that table. Then there's equity and equality. Equality is we all have the same items on the menu. We all have access. But that equity is making sure I have the resources to get those items off the menu, just like Joshua would have. And in regards to South Louisiana Community College, one of the first things that our interim chancellor, Dr. Vincent June, made sure is we created a space for us to come together and have these conversations. So one of the things that we do on a monthly basis is we host a series called If These Streets Could Talk. And we're talking about diversity. We're talking about equity. And not only those two items, but we're talking about the disparities that go along with it. If you're going to have a true conversation about diversity, 
you have to address the disparities. You have to address the obstacles that our students are dealing with. You have staff and colleagues as well, because someone living in a rural area may not have access to those hotspots. So true diversity, the true conversations come when you're able to address the underlying things that go along with it. So one of the things that we're doing at South Louisiana Community College is creating a space for us to come together and have those conversations. But also, we also recognize when we have those conversations, those conversations can be very heavy and burdensome. So one another thing we started doing was providing an avenue for students as well as faculty and staff to come together and created a space for virtual mental health conversations. So the two complement each other because I'm telling you how I'm feeling because I'm dealing with diversity issues and disparity, but there's also an outlet for me to go into where I can just let it all out, so. Thank you, Ms. Sonia. Ms. Bianca? Um, well, we're not doing quite as much here in North Louisiana. I think our demographics are a little bit different, but I think that's exactly why um, we were invited to be a member of the task force because we know that there's work to be done. So one of the things that our chancellor put in place was a student evaluation. And that's where we got some hard data to look at the faculty and staff's perspective and the student perspective about, you know, and to really use that data in the same way that we would student success to develop programs and systems and avenues similar to what's happening um, at Tanya's school that will help students and faculty become, you know, feel more comfortable. We also are having um, professional developments. We had one today that's available to all faculty and staff virtually just to kind of start to have those conversations. But I know that that's something that um, that's one of the things that I'm very excited about. Um, the task force for because I know that we'll come away from that. Our humans, uh, our human resources director is also on that task force. So I know that we'll come away with it with some good tools that we can utilize at Bozier. Thank you so much. I think number one, the conversation and getting that started is important. That lays the foundation. But the next part of the movement because it's, it's not a moment, it's a movement of reaching diversity, equity, and inclusion is the engagement. And so my next question will be posed to our student members on the call today is how would you encourage your fellow students, whether they're on SGA, a member of PTK, or they're just attending classes as a commuter student, how do you in encourage them to get engaged in the conversation, get engaged in the movement to becoming and, and making sure that our colleges are more diverse and inclusive? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump on that one. So I think the number one thing that we have to do is not be afraid to have that conversation. Uh, we don't mind having conversations in safe spaces uh, where you have, you know, the four wall technique where, you know, people get into a room and they'll really tell you how they feel, right? So they say, and so, I mean, when we get into a, a position where, we're, where we can speak the truth to power in public uh, and not afraid of who we will offend, because if the truth is the truth, um, as somebody proverbially said, if you were standing on my neck or kneeling, uh, and I told you I can't breathe. I mean, if it hurts your feelings, but you're in danger in my life, I still have, have the right to speak out about that. And so I think that, you know, when we get to a place and a point where we stop getting so, because here's the thing with emotions. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a 44-year-old male. And, um, you know, I had to grow up. And, and I'm, not, I'm not attacking anybody for using their feelings. Feelings serve a purpose. 
but I can't be driven by my feelings. I have to be feel, I have to be driven by logic and reason. And when I, when I feel a certain way about that, that should signal to my brain, should signal to the rest of my body to take action. And the action that we have to do, Damien, is just what you said, have the, the courage to speak this truth and, and be able to have um, the diversity council, I think is a good idea. Um, I think the next step to that would be, you know, having a two-part series on there where they can formulate an action and then have that initiative driven out. Uh, a lot of times we, we, we spend a lot of times studying racism and nothing comes about of it. We spend a lot of time, you know, talking around racism, but the policies and the practices stay the same. And so it has to be pointed and it has to be something that's done in real time so that the students that are, that are serving in these panels can see the change in real time and be able to make it. Cause I mean, one year as SGA president and then is, is over, you know? And so, um, and then you, you're a student on top of all of that. So I think that we just have to make sure that we have, we have the ability to be able to speak out. And when somebody's being offended, speak out. When somebody's being uh, racially profiled at school, because we look at, this is the space of education, but we got to realize that there's more than just racism just doesn't take place in education. It happens in entertainment, right? We see what's going on with the NBA, NFL. Uh, you know, we got it in, in, you know, in entertainment, law, you know, with the police department, labor, people's jobs. They got racism. They're dealing with it on their jobs. Um, you know, we even have it in the church. You know, we got black churches. And you know, Martin Luther King says Sunday is the most racially divided by the time of the year uh, of, of the week because we got black churches, white church. We all saving, serving the same God. Um, you know, sex and war. You know, all of these areas are divided up and, and with racial complications involved in it. So that's all I got to say on that. Thank you, Shanka. Joshua? Yeah, I would like to also say something just to kind of piggyback off of what Shanka said. He's talking about this is an education. We, we've created these safe spaces in education, and we're still creating them today, more and more so. So my um, little part of the wisdom I've gained in my short, very short 25 years would be educate those who are not in these spaces educate. I mean, wisdom is power. You have to have the knowledge to know when to speak up and tell someone, hey, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. This is why it's not right. You know, you're afforded this. Don't cross those because of their color of their skin or where they grew up or the poverty level they are under. And that's just my main thing is even when I talk to my friends, I'm like, look, if you see something anywhere from racism to illegal acts, you know, you have to speak to them people and be like, look, man, why are you doing that? You have to be a productive member of society in order to change the world. Step up and form, teach. Knowledge is power. Thank you, Joshua. Ms. Chantel? Yes, uh, what I would like to say is whatever your voice is, use it. Not everyone is comfortable, you know, speaking out loud, but whatever your voice is to use it. I, I was a child of, uh, my mom was a child of the 60s. And so I grew up going to marches. I grew up uh, being in the NWCP in a, as, a very young, in a, as a very young age. So I've always been involved. So um, I have, but I haven't always, spoken out loudly. 
I've, I've started doing that more recently, but I've always been involved in different things. And so I would, I would encourage people to do that. Whatever your voice is, whatever your platform is, to use that. And um, as everyone else has said, you know, when you see it, confront it. Don't let it go by because that, that's what keeps it perpetuating because people feel safe if they're not confronted and if, if these things that they're doing, um, if they're not shown, you know, how wrong they are. And so in, in our discussion today, it's not just about color. Um, inequity could be, you know, as we said, economic uh, inequity. You know, if you see people being, being mistreated because of their economic status, um, you know, for instance, I'm going to just put this out here, for instance, you know, with the hurricane, we're dealing with help. People can't get help. FEMA isn't coming through. Right now, we're dealing with people trying to get the DSNAP. Now, when we went to Rita, help was everywhere. Oh, my goodness, help was everywhere. And, and, but now, with this hurricane, even though it's the worst one that, it hit, that has hit us and we are so devastated, it's like we can't find help anywhere. And so the, the food stamp um, program has, you know, has, has opened, it started today, but people are being denied because they are asking about income. There was um, a, a, a person that, you know, that I know she was online for quite some time and she got denied and she was upset and rightfully so. And, uh, but her post was that pretty much, you know, unless you are an unemployed person, with a bunch of kids, they're not going to help you. And, and then she added in the, the snowflake. So, you know, that, that's, that's what we're dealing with, you know, that, that type of environment. And it was, just, it was just unnecessary. I understand that she was upset. I would be upset too. We haven't had our day to call yet. But, you know, don't disparage other people. I don't know why people are being denied, but don't disparage other people because they have less than you. And so um, the other thing is, let's see, be intentional to be around other people. Um, make, a, make an effort to go to another church, sit with another group, you know, to, to get to know other people. Because one of the things that keeps us in our, in our own little bubbles is because we, we don't get to know other people. And once we are able to humanize other, other people, then that breaks down the divisiveness that breaks down, um, you know, um, the mistreatment of other people, because now you can see them as human and you can see that you are not that different from these other people. So whatever your voice is, use it, use your platforms, use your social media, get involved that there are so many organizations now that have popped up over the years. Um, I'm going to say since, uh, since Obama's um, presidency until present day, there are so many organizations that are out there fighting the good fight of equity and, um, and, and disparagement. Also, vote. Please vote. Your vote is your voice. So I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ms. Chantel. You made two great points, I think, in that, that, that second that you spoke. One about finding your voice in the movement and whatever movement that is, there is a role for everyone to play. Um, it's not just about going out to rallies and protests. You can donate money, you can donate your time, you could donate your home, you could 
donate your resources of what you can do. So I think you made that great point. And the second is also being diverse in the group of individuals that you're around. I know throughout this whole year, throughout a global pandemic and racial inequality, I personally have had to do some reflection of who's in my circle and what that looks like. And I think at some point we all should do that to determine how can we together work together to cross those boundaries. Um, I think Joshua had something to add to Chantel's statements. Yeah, what you had said, Ms. Chantel, had just brought to my mind there's something that they teach in psychology about um, behavioral adjustments and learning. And uh, it goes along with spanking children and how that is a negative way to teach someone how not to do something. And what I just wanted to basically add or say is we as leaders, if we discuss these things with our friend groups and the peers that we are around and we see them actually speaking up, it would have a ripple effect if we were to go to them and be like, look, I know that was difficult, but I'm glad you did it. You know, congratulate them. Positive reinforcement is one of the true leading force in teaching. I truly believe it. Thank you, Joshua. Fatima, do you have something to add about how, you know, your students and your community can get engaged in the movement? Yeah, uh, I know that as a 17-year-old uh, in a college campus, uh, around also other kids uh, around my age, uh, we are very, we are highly perceived as not knowing anything. We aren't at the age of knowing modern day situations, not knowing enough to think for ourselves because we're not 18 yet. Um, but I, I try to push my generation to do the research, to go onto their phones because I know ev mostly everybody at school, um, at our campus, we have computers. We have the opportunity to do, to open books, to get into our smartphones and do the research. Uh, like Chantel said, there are so many organizations that uh, you can partner up as an, as an individual. Uh, I know personally, I am in a student-led organization that helps uh, with mental health for minorities and how much it, it affects our youth and it affects so many people still of older age as well. Um, and one of the biggest uh, ideas that they should is that people need to speak up on it. And I we all agree that. People need to raise their voice, even if it makes them a little uncomfortable, it, it needs to be done. Uh, because you might feel uncomfortable doing it and might not feel anywhere comfortable to deadly for people that are put into harm, harm's way when it comes to people we're supposed to trust, like our police officers. Um, hearing y'all's experience shatters my heart because I know it is something that it's difficult to deal with. And... Uh, I had a family member deal with something similar to that, but I do think it, it is because he he is not African-American, but Hispanic. They related him to more gang violence to anything else. Uh, and I had to speak on his experience to my my community and my generation that these things are real. So if you have an experience, talk about it. 
don't be scared to share it because it, it will help people realize that it's not just happening to some person in Oklahoma or some po- person in Ohio, or some person in California. No, it's happening in our communities. It's happening in our cities. It's happening in our parishes. And it, I think it is very important to open up about our experiences and our thoughts in research. So if any, if any person goes and says, um, all lives matter, all lives matter, um, you're not wrong. All lives do matter, but we're not trying to discard that one of these lives of multiple lives are being hurt right now. We have to focus on those that are wounded a little so that in the end, we can go to say that all lives do matter. But right now, people are hurting and we have to continue to do research. We have to continue speaking out of good experiences to educate others on what's happening. Thank you so much. If Mr. I can jump in just one more time, I'm sorry. What I want to say, uh, you know, it's right now, as we see what's going on in our country, it's, it's just too important to not be, uh, to be vocal. It's too important to be silent. It's too important not to be silent right now. Um, it's, it's like the, all the civility that kept the fabric of our nation together is just, it's in tatters. And so we're just in a critical time right now that we have to speak up if we're going to save ourselves. It's just too important to not be quiet right now. Thank you, Chantel. Ms. Tanya, Ms. Bianca, you know, what are some thoughts of wisdom that you can give our students and our community about some ways that they can get engaged in this movement to not only become more diverse, but in, inclusive and, and, and equity and reach equity? Be committed to the conversation and also recognize that this is not just a conversation. Yes, we're, you know, panelists on a podcast, but this conversation is a part of the movement. The movement is making things and spaces better, creating access for all. Because if I have access and you have access, but Joshua doesn't have access and our communities aren't thriving. So we have to make sure that we keep this conversation going and know that the conversation has to be complemented with action, but also understand and respect the conversation is not for the faint at heart. You have to be committed to the task. And also you have to be willing to be uncomfortable because one thing about having conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and equality, it it pulls back the mandate and it opens up the wound, but it opens up the wound for the wound to heal. So these conversations are necessary. These conversations are imperative in order to make our various, the various campuses that we work on to make it better for our communities, the conversation is necessary. I would agree percent by saying continue the dialogue. It's, it's very important and um, try and practice having endurance with it because, you know, although things are, um, critical now, a lot of these things have been going on for years and years. We've just, you know, gotten used to it and gotten comfortable and let it continue. And then it's just kind of gotten out of hand again. So just have that endurance to deal with the tough conversations and the situations and call them out. You know, many of you have said that today, but call those things out when you see someone being treated um, inappropriately, or if you feel like you don't have a space, if you feel like you don't have a space to communicate those things, that's what we at the colleges are trying to do is make sure that you feel included, that you do have a space. And this is an opportunity that um, will impact the, the, the future of your life. And so much of your college experience is academic, 
But that social um, and emotional piece of it is very important as well. So let those things be known, you know, communicate that to whoever you need to, your faculty, your administrators. That's what we're here for. We're missing the mark. We don't want to. We're not trying to. We want to meet the needs of our community and our students. So have that endurance, have those conversations and sit with people. Joshua said earlier, not only your friends, but people that are not like you. Now, I don't mean to get religious, but Jesus sat down with people that were not like him in order to hear them so that he could gain that perspective. And then also in return, you you inadvertently gain that respect. So sit and hear um, from other people. And then it also allows you to have compassion for maybe people that you weren't familiar with or a group of people that you, you know, you didn't know struggled in certain ways. Um, sometimes um, I think Ms. Chantel mentioned someone, um, financial disparities. There are certain people that you may assume um, has it all together financially, but doesn't, you know, or in an economic hardship. So make sure that you are very open to having that dialogue and um, listening to people. Thank you, Ms. Bianca. As we begin to wrap up our conversation today, I would like for each one of our panelists to give us very quickly one nugget that we all can take away from this conversation as we prepare for our next conversation, whenever that may be. Ms. Chantal? Um, the only thing that comes to mind is what I just said. Uh, we are in a critical time, um, and we, we need to have the conversation. We need to be comfortable with it. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and not let this time pass. That, that's what I wanted to say. Not let this time pass. We are in a time right now where people's eyes are being opened. People are more, um, more open to learning. So let's take the opportunity to teach and bring people along and, you know, and have the conversations and let's make the place, let's make this a better place. Finally, let's get there. Thank you, Ms. Chantel. Ms. Bianca? Um, practice civility and integrity. I think those are two um, skills that we all can use a lot more of. If it's something I've heard people say, well, if that was my, my child or if that was me, I would be upset. We need to be upset if it's anybody. So we need to practice civility and integrity. Thank you. Fatima? Uh, everything, uh, from everything to anyone, I always tell them to start being loving, uh, as well as knowing the logistics and knowing all the information. Uh, you have to start caring. If it isn't your family, if it is your family, if it's not your family member, if it is your family member, um, family, friends you have to start loving each other because one of the greatest things that makes us human is that we're all so different and we have to learn to accept our differences so that together as human, we could say we're amazing. We all have this one thing in common, but we could all be so different from each other. Thank you, Mr. Joshua. I would just like to say kind of what Fatiana said, just be loving, you know, be kind because of who you are, not because of who they are or what they do or what they look like. You know, reflect a world that you want to be in. Don't follow peers just to crush someone just to do it. I, just be kind. Love people. We're all human. Thank you, Josh. Mr. Shanko. Yes, yes. So um, it just as the proverbial when I looked at 2020, what it meant to me personally before it even kicked in, 
I thought of 2020 vision. 2020 is where you have clarity. And so uh, I think with race relationships in the United States and worldwide, I think there's no argument uh, on what needs to happen. Uh, and what, as, a, as a former SGA um, Student Government Association president, uh, I, I would just like to, to, to urge you current presidents to take advantage of your pulpits, take it, uh, advantage of your, your platforms that you have. Um, you have a lot of responsibility, a lot of power. Uh, and the action that can be done, because a lot of times we, we, we talk in circles. We talk and we talk. And man, Dr. King, I go back through some of his tapes, Malcolm X, all of these cats saying the same thing that we seeing right now today. You know, I mean, the exact same thing. If you close your eyes and, and, and just listen to what they say, you think they was talking about some event that happened last week, two weeks ago, whatever. And so the thing is, is that now that we are at this point and we have this momentum, because there's a lot of momentum going on. When a, when, when, a, when a brother can get killed in, 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 in America, and you got protests going all the way around the world, that's a lot of momentum. And so as you have this opportunity to organize, speak truth to power, that's important, but there's a step beyond that. And I think a lot of times, hey, look, if you got faculty and staff that's being racist, call them to the carpet. There's, there's, there's people in, 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 the, in the administrative areas that take their job very seriously. And guess what? If they don't know about these problems, they can't do nothing about them. So use those platforms, gather that information, right? But take action on that information because sitting about knowing about a problem, I wish the young lady had had talked to me before she transferred and said, hey, this is the problem I'm having. I wish I had the opportunity because I promise you as I'm sitting here, I would have I brought that up to my chancellor and I know he would have taken action on that. Because this is the thing, we can only, if our hands are tied, we can't do too much. And so if we want this, if we want the, the Louisiana, uh, you know, community technical college system to be better tomorrow, we got we got work that we got to do today. And that work is what's on our watch right now. Okay. And so I, I just implore you, Chantel, you know, I'm impressed. I know you're going to get it done where you're at. Um, you know, so, you know, just keep on, keep on doing what you need to do. Again, I tell you guys, I'm a resource if y'all need me. I'm in the backgrounds, okay? So I'm, I'm cheering y'all on. Go farther than where we went. Take it to another height. And just remember, this country, our community, is what we make it, all right? So I'll end with that. Thank you. Thank you, Shaco. And it's Tanya Bowden Ball. What can you leave us with? I was wondering if you were saving me for last because I'm the oldest, but I was like, okay, maybe, maybe not. The one thing I want to encourage all of us and those who are under the sound of my voice, when you're looking at diversity, look at it from the lens, the perspective of opportunity and not apprehension. Because like I said earlier, it will be uncomfortable, but the conversation is necessary. So we have to take this time that we're sitting in, this unrest that's surrounded us, take this time to acknowledge what's going on. Not ignore, but acknowledge. And more importantly, when we come together and realize Racial diversity is a strength and advancing equity is imperative. We can change the landscape of communities all over Louisiana. So it's imperative that we come together, not only have the conversations, but the conversations must be followed with action. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Tanya. And thank you all so much for joining us today. If this conversation was nothing more than a testament to you that we are doing the work, 
required to reach diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm not sure what will, but this is just the beginning for us at the system level within our colleges. And as we begin to go out, we'll leave Dr. Centron the opportunity to close us out until next time. Hey, y'all, I learned so much from each of you. I, I can't even tell you. Uh, you know, from feel some kind of way, Tanya, that I love that. And, you know, it, one thing is, is difficult to do this kind of stuff on the web. And, and you know, that's so great. And we have a little audience here of eight folks. And you heard laughter. You heard a lot of ahas, a lot of, a lot of shaking their heads. Yes, that's stuff that you don't typically see. So without seeing that, you'll express uh, to be intentional, to be uncomfortable, and those are, those are great things. This is the beginning of our conversation, a continuation of the conversation. It's not going to be the end. Uh, we, we are committed to fostering an environment in which each walk of life is represented in our community and technical colleges. And some of you mentioned some barriers that exist, and we've done a great job over the last years to help remove many of those barriers. Uh, from eliminating the high school diploma as a point of entry for our colleges to expanding the high school equivalency opportunities, uh, expanding financial aid offerings from institutional aid and many others. Credit for prior learning. If you're a military member, if you have an industry-based credential, you can skip the line and get some credits ahead. Many things, and we have to keep the conversation moving. How do we get those items to be equitable across all and each of our folks across the system. Thank you, thank you, thank you panelists for being here. Fatima, Chantel, Josh, Shanko, Bianca, Tanya, may have said you twice, you said some great stuff. It, it was amazing to hear your stories. Damien, I, I said at the beginning, I can't think of anybody better to moderate this. I still can't, so we, we gotta do this again and, and more often. And if, if anybody wants to know more about this podcast, it, 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 we touch on different topics, transferability, transferability healthcare and nursing, uh, construction trades, all the different things that, that deal with our community and technical college system. You can go to lctcs.edu to the What's Next LA and learn all, all about what we have going on with this podcast, even though this is a live version and we'll keep doing them a lot versions and have it on YouTube and as well as doing our uh, podcast uh, page. It, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Uh, pass it on. If you, if you watch this twice, get extra credit from your instructor. I think we can, we can work that out. Maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll, don't tell them I said it though, just to be clear. Uh, Before we wrap things up, we want to take the time at the end of each episode to answer some questions from our listeners. If you have a question you would like us to answer, email us, what's next Louisiana at lctcs.edu. You can visit us online at lctcs.edu slash what's next LA or tweet us at goLCTCS. A special thanks to the What's Next Louisiana podcast team. Aquina Grant, LCTCS Director of Communications. Landon Corbin, LCTCS Coordinator of Digital Outreach. April Smith, North Shore Technical Community College, Livingston Campus Dean. Jason Leader, Nunes Community College, Director of Communications. Darian Atkins, Louisiana Delta Community College, Director of Community and Public Relations. Until next time, I'm Dr. Renee Cintron asking you, 
What's next, Louisiana?